Easter lesson is John 3, 1 through 17, the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the people. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, quiet us, blow within us that we might make a place in our hearts for you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay, I've told a number of stories about my kids from this pulpit, and I promise you this will be the last one. (laughs) So here it goes. My daughter played softball, my son baseball. They started at age four with Little League, did the travel ball thing and played in high school. My son played college baseball too. In other words, I've watched a lot of games and seen a lot of plays. I should know the game better than I do. I've been around it enough times, but sometimes I just don't see a play 
or understand a call. I don't always catch what's going on. My kids still laugh at my astute observation. I still get text messages about it. Now, this new insight dawned on me as I watched one of my son's last games his senior year in college. As did my daughter, my son usually played third base and sometime first base. But at this game, he was put in at second, and I watched second base. So I said to him after the game, you know, second base is a lot like shortstop, only it's played on the other side of the base. Really, he said. (laughs) Really? You know, I've never thought of that. And then he cracked up laughing and asked, are you serious? Are you just getting that now? Now when I watch a game with my daughter or son, they'll ask, did you catch that? Sometimes I have, but too often they'll have to explain to me, and too often they'll say, you know, you should know by that by now. We've explained that to you enough times. And they shake their heads in amazement. And I know they're thinking, how can you not get that after all the games you've been to? There are things in our life that are very familiar to us, but sometimes we just don't get it. And sometimes all of a sudden we'll see or understand things with sharper clarity. What should be obvious isn't. And sometimes it takes a while for it to click in, for us to see with new light. It's like that for many of us Christians. We've been to a lot of church services heard a lot of scripture, and said a lot of prayers, but too often we just don't get it. Or we hear what we want or miss a major point. But other times it's like we're born again. The Spirit descends and touches us. The story we just heard was written around the end of the first century CE for early Christians who were trying to understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The story of Nicodemus is recorded to help the early church understand about discipleship and living within God's kingdom, God's reign, to help the early church. And it helps us too. Nicodemus, the disciples, and others just didn't get who Jesus was even though they'd been around him. Yet they knew he was something, someone special. So Nicodemus set out one night to catch Jesus on some downtime so he could be alone with him. Perhaps to do so in secret, but also to have some uninterrupted time with him. When they met, Nicodemus told Jesus that he knows he is a man from God because he's doing such amazing things. And he is also asking, level with me, Jesus, Just who are you really? Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He, too, would have been considered a man from God. He senses something holy is going on with Jesus, and he naturally wonders how he, too, can get this knowledge. Now, Jesus responds in the New Revised Standard Version, which we read, that says, No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. 
Yet the gospel writer really has Jesus replying using a play on words. In the original Greek, right after the word born, there is the word anothene. Anothene literally has two meanings, from above or again. Here, Jesus plays a double play. The New International Version, though, and the King James read a bit differently. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And the New Common English Bible reads, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. The Greek word has two meanings, from above and again. Nicodemus should have caught this, but he doesn't. But the early Christians would have recognized this in this story. Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, was a leading religious leader for the Judean people. He knew his Hebrew scriptures. He was familiar with the notion of God's spirit working within people and changing people. He knew the Psalms talk about God's spirit renewing hearts in places like in the book Ezekiel, which we read this morning, where God says, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. But Nicodemus comes so intent with his own religious understanding that he misses the play, the point. Instead, he hears only that Jesus said he is to be born again and goes on to confront Jesus. How can that be? I can't re-enter my mother's womb. So Jesus once again puts on that familiar patient hat and explains a bit further, clarifying no one can enter, not just see. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit, signifying baptism here on earth and spirit from above. Now Nicodemus was undoubtedly aware that John the Baptist baptized his followers, including Jesus, with water. And as you heard in Ezekiel, the Old Testament had its own cleansing rituals with water. And without a doubt, the early church here would have recognized the symbolic meaning of water for baptism. In fact, in the early church, your whole body was submerged fully underwater as a symbol of dying into Christ. And then you were lifted up out of the water as to symbolize rebirth, being born again, a new life born in Christ, in the way of Christ. Yet here, Jesus also emphasizes being born into the Spirit. And like I said, not an unfamiliar concept in Hebrew scriptures. Only here, Jesus also hits Nicodemus with another word with two meanings, spirit, pneuma in Greek, meaning both wind and spirit. Or maybe the breath into, like God breathing God's breath into creation. In this story... Jesus is having some fun with this scripturally learned man. It's a bit of clever scripture for the early church and for us. God's spirit is like the wind. The wind is like the spirit. It moves in mysterious ways. 
Being able to enter into the kingdom of God means being open to God's spirit, the wind spirit, the breath of God that is mysterious. And it brings new things, new ways, new life. Basically, Jesus is saying, come on, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel. You know scripture. You're a Pharisee. Think. Get in the game. You need to start playing, thinking in a new way. You need to let the Spirit of God move you. Be open. Yet today, we often think of the story or Nicodemus, or at least I have, as being a pivotal message for many Christians about the importance of being born again in order to be saved or to really know Jesus. For many Christians... Being born again is a kind of litmus test for being a true Christian, being able to name the time and date when you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, we Presbyterians can get a little nervous with this kind of talk, and we may intellectually reason that knowing Jesus isn't a one-time thing. There will be many times where we will be born again, all good and true. But just like Nicodemus, I came to this scripture with my own agenda and fairly familiar with it that I didn't really see it. Maybe it was reading this scripture in this season of Pentecost or maybe reading while I am undergoing life changes and second is too. But when I read this story of Nicodemus this week, I was struck with the importance of being born again and from above and being born with both water and spirit. Now here again, we as Presbyterians don't talk all that much about the Holy Spirit. We talk about God and Jesus and what it means to be Christian, but we can get a little squeamish with this spirit stuff. This passage challenges us. It instructs us us to be born into God's spirit, to really let God inside, to unleash, to to let Christ come in, to be open to the Holy Spirit. We are reminded to live into our baptism and into the Spirit's baptism. Yet when we open ourselves to the living in the Spirit, we unleash a wind that isn't always comfortable or controllable. In doing so, we are required to live a life of faith, trusting the Spirit to move and guide us like the wind where it chooses. Hmm. Yet it is in this very movement of letting go, of being reborn into the Spirit and living into our baptism, that we find ourselves entering the kingdom of God, living into the reign of Christ. And like the early church and Nicodemus, we are invited into the mystery of it all, to be open to a new life, new revelations, new ways. And that's challenging. And it's both scary and exciting. Now, I couldn't preach on this text without mentioning John three sixteen. It's a beautiful verse, but I too often connect it with being held up in right or left field by fans at a game as the TV camera pans over them 
or we see it come on the jumbotron screen in the stadium. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. We as Presbyterians don't always get that way of proclaiming Christ either. And in today's pluralistic world, this verse can be confusing. But let me back up with some context here. Right before this famous line, this verse 16, are verses 14 and 15 saying, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of God be lifted up that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Now this is a reference Nicodemus would have caught. After some of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness had been bitten by snakes, Moses was instructed to put up a bronze snake on a pole for the people to gaze at and be healed. Here Jesus acknowledges that he likewise will be lifted up lifted up on the cross. In other words, Jesus is to be exalted so that whoever believes and looks up to him and follows him will be healed and have eternal life. Yet what does that mean? What does it mean here not to perish and have eternal life? Too often these verses get connected to a heaven and hell thing. Believe so you can go to heaven. But that's not really the emphasis here. Jesus has been talking about being born again and from above into water and spirit in order to see and enter the kingdom of God in the here and now, right now. Yes, heaven in the hereafter is a blessing. But as theologian Gail O'Day points out, Here, eternal life does not mean a mere endless duration of life or immortality. Rather, it is a metaphor for living now in the unending presence of God, of being born into God's presence, to letting God's spirit be a present reality that gives you life. This morning, we also read John 3, 17. The whole passage shifts when we also hold it up. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let me paraphrase verse 16 and 17 just a bit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish and lose hope, but may live in the presence of God. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved, in order that the world might live in the presence of God and know God through the way of Jesus Christ. And I have to add that later in the Gospel of John, we are purposely told that Nicodemus is openly there when Jesus is buried. We know and hear that he really is born again and from above. It's good to remember that for the early church in Jesus Christ, eternal life and the kingdom of God were synonymous and represented an all-encompassing life centered on the way of Christ. Salvation found in Jesus Christ involved a radically new life. 
one in which you were to be reborn and begin a new way of life. And guess what? It still does. A life where we inevitably mess up, yet we are also given the chance to begin again, over and over again. A life in which we are called to become more attuned to, to see new insights and discern the spirit working within us as individuals and as the congregation, as the body of Christ. A life we are called to share with each other and with others. For Nicodemus, the early church, second Presbyterian church, and the world beyond, we have good news. We have a God who loves us so much that we have been given Jesus Christ, who shows us the way to live. May we repeatedly be born again and from above into our baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. May we, as the body of Christ, take the time to let the Spirit flow through our meetings and gatherings. Yes, there is business to conduct and conclude, but opening ourselves up to new insights with the Spirit's moving movement in our planning times is important. We need to recognize that some things are working and others may need to change. Rebirth in our committees, ministries, worship, etc. Let me give a short illustration. The church I had been called to has had banners of all the creeds and confessions hanging in the sanctuary for over 40 years. For many, a comfortable sign of stability and what the church stood for. Yet time and time again, as I heard from ministers and even the former minister, a Union Seminary grad, I heard, good luck with getting those 1970 banners down. Yet when I visited there, the banners were gone, replaced by incredibly new and vibrant ones. What happened, I wondered. Then someone on the PNC, the search committee, explained, someone who loved those banners, that there was a musical concert there in the fall. Now the choir director there, a PhD from South Carolina, also is the director of the choral program at the high school. And one of the groups, it was one of the groups performing for a public concert there. Now, the high school kids asked her while they were rehearsing, why is there a swastika in the church? The students didn't even see the red mark through the swastika, which is part of the banner for the barman confession. Nor could the choir director really explain what the barman confession was. All they saw was a startling image in church. That was the impetus for the people to recognize that times have changed and signs and symbols that meant so much to so many of them were no longer working as a witness to the outside world. May our church school classes and other groups' gatherings 
not only be for intellectual knowledge, but places where we recognize God's Spirit breathing and blowing into our lives in new ways. May worship be a place where God's Spirit is allowed to guide us and nourish us where we are transformed by the Spirit. May we live into this story in ways that open us up to God's Spirit and movement in both our personal and communal lives. And may we share the gospel in ways that offer new life, joy, hope, healing, love in the here and now for ourselves, for others, and our community, for God's world. May we be open to being born again and from above. May it be so. Amen. Please pray with me. Loving and sustaining God, help us to realize that Christ came not into the world to condemn it, but to save it, to save us. Open us up to your spirit. Help us to realize that new birth is not a one-time thing, but something you call us to be open and ready for time and time again so that we may live in your kingdom and usher it in for others. Amen.